It cannot have passed your notice that we are in the midst of football season these days. I note it because attendance is a little lighter during Bears season, especially with home games. I think of a story from football history that has served as an inspiration to me through the years. It seems that many, many years ago, when the notorious Notre Dame football team was about to face its arch rival, the University of Southern California, in a very important game, the legendary coach, Newt Rockney, came up with a rather unusual strategy to prepare for that uh, contest. This particular year was one in which the Notre Dame team was frankly struggling. The USC team was widely regarded as vastly superior and certain to win this particular contest. But Rockney hit upon an unusual strategy. The week before the game, he went all around the campus at South Bend, seeking out every unusually physically large specimen of a student he could find. The tallest and widest students he invited to come to the locker room prior to the game. And he suited every one of these guys in a Notre Dame uniform. The time of the game came and the USC team, the visitors, came out onto the field first. They went through their warm-up exercise and then they waited for Notre Dame to arrive. There was a dramatic pause And then out of the locker room, they came. Wave after wave of the hugest hulking green giants you've ever seen just paraded out onto the field in an endless procession. And the USC players began to look back and forth at each other. And the coaches on the sidelines could see the panic filling their eyes. And and in vain, the coaches tried to shout out above the din of the huge crowd, they can only play 11 of those guys at one time. But to no avail. The game was already lost. USC had been defeated not in actuality by the size of these players or even those players themselves. Many of them weren't even players. They had been defeated by the power of the fear that had taken root in their souls. It is my conviction that many of us live on that field in our daily lives. That many of us live in a world in which we are defeated not so much by the external circumstances or opponents we face in life as by the deep fears that take root within our hearts. And and there are two fears in particular, I think, which are just so unusually debilitating for many of us, that the action of someone much larger than us is needed to address them. The action of God himself is needed to fully cast out those particular fears and how God does that, how he wants to do that with each of us is what I want to think about with you today as we consider the message of our lectionary texts. In connection to the first of these fears, I I think of the story of Frankie and Johnny. Maybe some of you are familiar with that old film. 
In this movie, Michelle Pfeiffer plays the character of a woman named Frankie. Uh, She is a waitress at a diner. She is a cynical, hard-bitten, hard-surfaced woman who has become inwardly turned and very adept at pushing away the pain and the people in her environment. She focuses ruthlessly on the tasks of her job. She just dishes out the plates and pours coffee and has very little to do with the people in her environment until all of a sudden one day into the diner comes walking an ex-convict, talkative, outgoing, named Johnny, played in the movie by Al Pacino. And, And Johnny takes a rather persevering interest in getting close to Frankie. He will not take no for an answer. He keeps pursuing her and pursuing her. And in spite of the attraction, the chemistry that Frankie feels for Johnny, she just will not let him in. She keeps putting him off, pushing him away. And the tension between the two of them mounts up until at long last Johnny will have no more of it. And he confronts Frankie and says, what's wrong? I know there's something going on here. Why won't you let me in? And Frankie breaks down. And with mascara running down her face, she tells Johnny the truth. The truth that she has told no one before about herself. I'm just so afraid, she cries. I'm afraid to be alone. I'm afraid of who I am of what I'm not, of what I might become, of what I might never, ever become. I don't want to stay at this job for the rest of my life, but I'm afraid to leave, and I'm just tired, you know, she says. I'm just so tired of being afraid. And I've known Frankie's. And at moments, I've been a Frankie. And maybe some of you know Frankies or are a Frankie in some way. Sometimes it's hard to spot people like this. Sometimes they're so good at putting up the front, the mask. You know, they're very arrogant or very gruff. Uh, and it just, it never occurs to you that behind that is a very soft center of fear that they just are trying to protect so that others can't get too close. Sometimes they bury their anxiety between layers of terribly appropriate conversation about the weather, about the news, about you. They don't let anybody get really close to what's going on inside of them. Even their supposed intimates don't realize there's more going on at the core. Sometimes they work to anesthetize their fear with chemicals. Sometimes they work to distract themselves from the fear with an array of of feverish activities and acquisitions, or they cover up their terror with fine clothes and, and makeup and things. But if you could catch these people... If you could catch me or you, maybe, in a moment of vulnerability, we we would somehow say the same kinds of things that Frankie said to Johnny. I'm just so afraid. I'm really afraid of being alone because I don't really like myself 
all that much. I'm afraid of what I am because sometimes I seem, uh, what I am is so duplicitous, so hypocritical, so mean, so weak in various ways. I'm afraid of what I'm not because I think if people could really see all the things that aren't really going on inside of my soul, they would reject me. I'm afraid of what I might never become because as hard as I try to, My character just doesn't seem to improve like I want to. In short, I'm afraid that if I stripped away all of the coverings that I have put up around me, like padding, like a football uniform, like a helmet that I've put around me to protect myself, you would see the reality that I am worthless and you would walk away. As a poet once said, if I let you see inside, would you thereafter be my cherished friend? I fear your answer would be no. You'd see that I'm worthless. Oh, no, I I wouldn't walk away, says Johnny to Frankie in the movie. I won't. I won't go away. Oh, no, I won't walk away, says the God of the universe to the Frankie in you or the Frankies around you. What, what will it take to make you believe this, says God? What will it take to make you understand that even if you lost your job and all your money and all of your stuff, you be still every bit as valuable to me? Uh, other people might not take you ser- seriously anymore. I would take you every bit as seriously if all this was stripped away. What would it take to to make you believe that even if you became disfigured or ugly or crippled, you would still be, as the psalmist says in one of our lectionary readings, the apple of my eye. The apple of my eye. What would it take to show you that even if those flaws in your character don't get better but actually get worse as you get older, I will not stop perseveringly hoping for my best to triumph in you. What's it going to take to show you how much you are worth to me? If I were to show myself happy to embrace really obviously broken people like prostitutes and thieves and lepers, would you then stop being so driven by the fear that you're not worthy of love? If I were to show myself capable of welcoming back into my good graces the very friends who, like you perhaps, at one time or another have abandoned me or denied me or betrayed me, if I did this, would you finally stop fearing that there is something so fundamentally unforgivable about you that you have to punish this in the reflection you see of your own frailty in others. If I were to allow myself to be whipped and to be mocked and to be nailed to a cross to die, to be executed in the very place that you would belong if sin and and worthlessness was really in the end all you were about, the determining factor in your value. If I were to do such a thing, would faith then begin to replace your fear? What's it going to take to show you how much 
You are worth to me. Well, nobody would ever do things like this, would they? Says Frankie to Johnny. But we know, the scriptures tell us, that somebody did things exactly like this. In fact, he did exactly this to demonstrate the value he places on human life. And not just someone has declared your worth, but the ultimate arbiter of value in the universe has declared your worth. The only person whose opinion will matter in the end has said, I love you enough to lay down my life in your place for you, to pour out my life's blood for you. The psalmist says, I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love that you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes, that you care for me. Show me this, says the psalmist. And God answers. God stretches out his hands. God shows us the wonders of his love for while we were yet Sinners, Christ dies for us. While we are still lost in sin, notorious sinners, Christ dies for us to demonstrate the worth he places on us. Please remember this as you go out onto the field this week, will you? Um, Because you're going to get a lot of messages out there about your worth. Please remember Jesus when you're out there and somebody fails to appreciate your gifts or seems to have so many more of the trappings of value that our society estimates as important than you have. Or when somebody stomps on your heart or when someone doesn't take you seriously or, or when someone doesn't value your apparent gifts, or who rejects you, or attacks you in some painful way, when the fear of worthlessness comes running at you like, a, like a, a parade of green giants out of the locker room of your soul, remember Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, not upon them. Fix your eyes upon the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes upon the cross of Christ. And remember that God would not purposely lay down his infinitely precious life if you were junk. You are of supreme value and worth to him. Let that be your peace. Let it make you fearless as you walk through this world and out onto its fields. I wonder sometimes whether there is not a second fear which alongside of the specter of worthlessness takes root deep within us and affects us as we move through life. I'm speaking of that basic anxiety so many of us live with often deeply suppressed that in the end everything we have and are will be overrun, trampled, crushed underfoot, defeated and destroyed by the giant foe of death, the final enemy, 
I wonder if that doesn't play some role in our life. I think back to a story I heard Pastor Myers Hicks, a wonderful southern preacher, tell many years ago. It was on one of his latter birthdays that his wife gave him a particular gift. She gave him a, um, a burial plot for his birthday. And um, he thought this was unusual. Practical for sure, but kind of unusual. But he tried to make the best of it. Another year went by. His birthday came around again. This time, no gift. No gift at all. Well, now Myers is getting somewhat concerned. And he musters up the courage. He's wondering if there's a message in this. And so he musters up the courage to say, Honey, honey, what's this about? You know, why no gift? To which she replied, Well, gosh, Myers, you didn't even use the gift I gave you last year. <laughs> we laugh in the face of death. We laugh. Better than to cry. We say like Woody Allen, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) But underneath the surface of it all, it shakes us when we think about it, when we let ourselves think about it. It affects our performance out on the field. Some of us will pour a small fortune into operations and cosmetics, trying to stave it off, trying to deny the fact that every single day we're moving a little closer to that grave. We're dying a little bit more. Some of us will adopt frantic schedules of activities and programs. We're driven by this subconscious sense that we've got to cram all the living we possibly can into the now because the the clock of mortality is relentlessly clicking away, ticking away towards that final uh, date on our headstone. Others of us, we fend it off by getting caught up in a, a lifestyle of these superficial pleasures. We chase after the motto of our world so often is eat, drink, and party hardy because we're going to be gone tomorrow. Use it up all now because it all goes away. Or else we fall into a pattern of cynicism a little like Frankie in that sense, a, a, a depressive sort of mindset whose creed is life's a ditch and then you die, just to put it politely. So why try so hard? Why open yourself up when it all goes down the drain in the end? The specter of worthlessness and the shadow of death. Find a place deep in the locker room of our souls and make it hard for us to function as we were created to function out on the field. You know, we're not alone in this, right? I mean, those same cold feelings have been there from time immemorial. They were there certainly for the very first disciples who followed Jesus. I mean, for a moment, they had dared to believe that maybe it could be different. They had met this amazing man who gave them hope that that maybe despair and death and all that stuff 
wasn't going to win out in the end, that maybe there was a power at work in the world moving on this planet that could overcome the forces of gravity in this sense. But then they'd watched him die too. They'd seen him perish in the most awful, gruesome way possible on a cross. And they'd lost hope that anything could be very different at all. And they knew that even if Jesus had loved them, death had now taken even that kind of love away from them. But they were wrong. They were blessedly wrong. They simply could not see, as human beings often cannot see, that we live in the context of a much larger reality than the eye can tell in certain moments. That, the, As W.R. Ng has said, a soldier in the trenches is sometimes a poor judge of the fortunes of a great battle. And so what the disciples discovered when they got to the graveyard one decisive day is that that larger reality had broken into their world, into this dimension of life. And instead of meeting darkness, they found a brilliant messenger at that tomb. Instead of the cold closure of a sealed grave, they suddenly found themselves confronted with the warm promise of an empty tomb. And instead of the faint memory of a dying man sighing, it is finished, they met a risen Lord shouting, do not be afraid. I've only just begun. Life's only just beginning. Beloved, pay really close attention to what I'm about to say and wake up your neighbor if they've drifted off. There is no message of the Bible, especially the New Testament, that is more resonant and repetitive than those words, do not be afraid. Fear not. Don't be scared. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Trust in God. Trust also in me, says Jesus. Now I know that some of you, you have seen death running across the field at you. You have seen it knock over people that you loved. You have found it make you quake in your shoes Because you know it's moving steadily in your direction. But please do not be fooled by death's apparent size any more than you are by the foe of worthlessness. For as theologian Karl Barth once wrote, the resurrection tells us that our enemies are beaten. The resurrection tells us That our enemies are defeated. Oh, they still behave as though the game were not decided, wrote Bart. The battle not fought. We must still reckon with them. No fooling. We still must reckon with them. But fundamentally, we must cease to fear them anymore. For I know that my Redeemer lives, wrote the prophet Job. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, this skin, this body, yet in my flesh, my new resurrected form, I will see God, writes the prophet. For he is not the God of the dead, says Jesus in our text from Luke today. He is the God of the living. The God who runs this universe is not about death. He's about overcoming it. 
He's about resurrecting life. He's about renewing and redeeming life. This is the defining reality of the universe, this God's intention. And that is why I think that if Jesus were standing here today, and we believe by faith he is, actually. He says, wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. We believe he's here with us today, speaking to us through his word. I think this is the kind of thing he might want to say to us, maybe to you or to you or to me. I know your life isn't all you'd like it to be. Um, I know that you look at your life today, some of you, and you feel like it's not as it should be. But I'm telling you this. I'm at work in you. I'm not done with you. I'm at work around you and through you and in spite of you. And so you just keep seeking me, okay? You keep looking for opportunities to open yourself to me. And you be fearless about that. You live your life fearlessly. I think Jesus would say, you know, I know some of you are looking around at this world and it just, it's just driving you crazy. It's so out of control. You're, you're driven to despair sometimes at the chaos and the craziness of this planet or our society. But you know what? I know what I'm doing in history, says Jesus. You know, I, I, I've, lived, I've lived through Babylon and Assyria and Egypt. I mean, I've seen lots worse chaos. Believe me, I know what I'm doing sovereignly in history. And you can trust me with this. You go out there and be the salt and light that I've called you to be. You be as faithful as you can. You trust me for the future. You be fearless. You be fearless. Faithful and fearless. I know how hard it is, Jesus will say to some of you, to let go of that one who has died or that one who is dying. But if their hand is in mine and your hand is in mine, you're heading for a reunion. You can count on it. You can bank on it. So you keep walking fearlessly. And I know some of you, you're feeling the grip of death in your own heart and life. You can feel your own body beginning to let you down. You feel it in your knees and your back and other places. But I'm telling you, when I raise you up, you're going to be amazed at the life I've given you. So, be fearless, even as this body breaks down. At the end of the day, Jesus invites you and me to be a little like a a certain mountain climber I read about who stood at the base of Mount Everest in the year 1924. Now, in 1924, nobody had come close to reaching the summit of Mount Everest. And this particular climber, that day, stood there looking up at the mountain, and he shook his fist in courageous defiance towards the mountain. He had seen that mountain take the lives of a lot of his comrades through the years. And on that particular day, and I'm going to quote him here, this is what he said. You may seem to defeat us now, Mount Everest, 
but we shall someday defeat you, old foe, because here's the truth, you can't get any bigger. (laughs) We can. The specter of worthlessness, the shadow of death, they can't get any bigger. But by the grace and the love and the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ, you and I can. Please pray with me. Lord, we want our lives to be deeply rooted in faith rather than in fear. And because some of us are dealing right now with fears over our real worth, because some of us are are inclined to tag that worth to all of the false sources that this society supplies, please open our eyes to the size of the love that you poured out for us upon the cross. Because others of us are tormented by fear over our own mortality, open our spirits to trust more fully in the resurrecting power you once unleashed from an empty tomb and send us out with a courageous passion, freshly encouraged with good hope to live as Jesus does faithfully and fearlessly. For we pray this in his glorious name. And all God's children said,